Welcome to Keep Off the First Podcast, the first of hopefully many Matt Lockdown podcasts, unless this goes horribly wrong and you'll never hear of it again. Joining me today is the man who is the arguably the face of the Matlocktown FC TV channel. He is part of Derbyshire Media Company. He is part of Spy Radio. He's probably part of a lot of other things, though, now. Um, it's Matthew Rhodes. Matt, how are you, mate? Uh, hello. I'm very good, yeah. How are you? Um, bored and sat watching rain, really. That's sort of the, the day-to-day at the minute. Yeah, I was it's- watching... Um... Some uh, live sports and cricket in uh, Australia this morning, and uh, had about a twenty thousand crowd. It was very, uh, <laughs> it was very depressing. <laughs> well, that that that's understandable. I mean, the amount of times I've woken up and looked and gone, "Hey, it's it's Saturday, this it's football day," yeah. and it, it's just Sarah. But we're not here to to grimace at what has been. We're here to look forward. Uh, for those who don't know, it, it may well seem that everyone has started a podcast during lockdown. It does seem to involve the thing. And we thought, hey, we'll jump on the train, see what happens. So, first of all, the thoughts put out on this podcast are not always reflective of those of the clubs, the, of the individuals. So, myself, Matt. Going forward, we're hoping this is going to be a fortnightly thing. We hope to be having guests on, so people from the club. Not spoke to anyone about that yet, but I know a few, when we have mentioned the idea in the past, have been open to it, which is good. And we just want to it, we want to have a laid-back chat, because we know a lot of people are missing that sort of pub environment where they go and talk nonsense with their mates. We're not going to be going into the intricacies of the pandemic response of the league or... Anything like that, it's just going to be a bit more of a, a gentle chat. And we'll try and keep it to 45 minutes to an hour. But if you're listening to this, you probably already noticed, I tend to babble a lot. So I'll try and prove that. Uh, Might have so a lot of you... editing to do. <laughs> oh, well, if anyone's seen the highlight videos, they know editing's not my forte. <laughs> I'll do my best. So with that said, I just want to... Uh, chauffeur myself and well you as well over to the news which is when we did this podcast I know we spoke about it in the past we thought hey let's do it when not a lot is happening um obviously the team's not played for, for a good while now mm-hmm. uh, can't trade so we, we have to cast on it a bit further out for news so first of all we have to mention Zach Brunt, former Matlock Town player, current Sheffield United player, a young man who has quite the promising future, made it onto Sheffield United's bench the other night. I uh, can't remember who they played. Uh, Sheffield, was it against West Brom? Yes, it, it was, because they won 2 well. Sadly, Zach didn't get on the pitch, but for somebody his age moving forward to get that chance to be around that environment it's such a huge plus and for someone who had the pleasure of getting to know Zach and know his family and know how hard and how much to put into this it's so great to see him getting those chances now uh I know Zach was I think Zach had departed the club prior to you getting involved Matt but yeah. do you do you know much about Zach or? 
Not a massive amount, no. I had not heard of him until uh, I saw uh, you mention him uh, last season um, about sort of like the potential that he's got. So I know that he, I think he he played for Matlock when he was very young, wasn't he, when he was 16? I, I believe, and I'm sure I will be corrected if I'm wrong. Do feel free to do that in the comments. I do get <laughs> stuff... Wrong quite often, but I believe Zach was one of the youngest ever people to get in Matlock Town's first team. And the thing is, usually when you have players like that and you think, oh, is he going to struggle? Is the physicality going to be too much for him? Zach came in, and much like Max Hunt, who has also moved on to full-time football, he never looked out of place. And I know he's somebody that is just... Everybody who had... Any interactions with it? I know the lads in particular, Nathan Whitehead, Dwayne Wiley, Adam Yates, just name a few around at the same time. They have so much uh, just general like mm. towards Zach as, as a person, as a player. But as we've seen, to make the step up from semi-professional to professional is just a huge ask, but it'll be interesting whether he will make the grade long-term now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it will be interesting because I always like it when I see, you know, someone that has played in non-league uh, and then playing up at, you know, the highest level uh, domestically anyway. Um, yeah, it is always interesting. Because I um, recently I did uh, an interview, uh, a couple of interviews with people from uh, associated with Stocksbridge Park Steels because uh, I was assigned an article to write about um, Jamie Vardy's time there, because obviously uh, th- that was Vardy's first uh, proper club uh, within senior football. And it was it, the most interesting thing about it was, you know, th- they obviously knew this guy was special and had the potential, but that does not mean at all that there'll be a success even in like League Two at any stage within the football league, never mind the Premier League, because there's so many different factors that you've got to consider because they obviously knew Vardy was uh, extremely talented and purely on the pitch was way too good for Northern Premier League level. But uh, as it it was explained to me, he was a bit of a lad and uh, genuinely would come into some games still smelling of alcohol and stuff like that. Uh, so obviously not really taking the game very seriously at that point. And that's why a lot of teams who were very interested in him, like uh, Rotherham and crew, uh, in the end pulled out of making a deal for him because they just couldn't trust that he would get the off-the-field stuff right. And obviously they've been kicking themselves ever since. But uh, they applies to stuff like uh, players like Zach Brunt as well, who has played in non-league, because no matter how good you are at non-league and how much potential you've got, and clearly he must have loads for you know to be in Matlock's first team at the age of 16, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it you know, within the Football League or even the Premier League. So um, I think the fact that Brunt, well, he, did, he didn't make an appearance, but you know, is, is in the full matchday squad. And obviously for what was a crucial game for Sheffield United as well. And the fact that he's being considered for selection, I think shows that is, is, you know, is professional um, off the pitch as well as on the pitch. 
which is is just as important, really. So it kind of makes me feel like, yeah, he's got his head screwed on and he just wants to go as far as possible uh, within the game. So, yeah. So I always like stuff like that because I like seeing uh, players that have played in non-league and, you know, being having the chance at success at uh, in the Football League and, uh, you know, fair play to him because he could be in line to make uh, a couple of Premier League appearances soon. So uh, you never know, he might be the person to uh, keep them up on the last day of the season. You never know. Well, stranger things have certainly happened. I just thought I'll jump in and show me Matlock bias here briefly. Uh, certain Jamie Vardy you've just mentioned, I believe his best season at Northern Premier League level, he was outscored by um, some chap called Ross Anna. I don't know if mm. you've heard of him. Uh, <laughs> obviously, back at the club now, which is is great. I I am such a sucker for a sentimental story when it comes to football and club legends returning. But I think you see it, it's so hard to make that transfer into full-time football. And Zach was somebody who he'd been at Derby County, he'd had trials for Atletico Madrid. He'd, he was the hot commodity. And it's it's difficult in football when you've got so many people around you telling you you should take this path or you should take that path. And for Zach to then go, right, no, I, I want to find myself in football. I want to find that level of happiness and be able to... Just come to Matlock, just play me football, no pressure. And it, it's worked out for him. And hopefully he won't be the last Matlock player to make the Premier League side's bench. We've got Ashton Hall, ex-Matlock as well, who's at Sheffield United. So hopefully that will mean big things in their futures. And hopefully it'll not be long before we are sat here talking about Ashton and talking about Zach getting his first start. And as you say... If he keeps them up at end of the season, perhaps we can revisit this topic and we can don your mystic mat and say, well, you knew before anyone else. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, I, I like stuff like that and it'd be, it's good uh, just to keep a tab on what ex-players do, um, even if they don't make it into the, the football league. Um, it's just, it's interesting to me and just to see how, if players can really fulfil their potential, because clearly Zach Prum um, has a lot of potential for, for him to be getting like, uh, you know, tryouts at teams like Atletico Madrid and things like that. It's, yeah, fantastic. And, uh, well, so we might be coming on to it in a little bit, but also players like Dan Bramall as well, who's very recently got his first uh, Football League experience on the pitch with uh, Barrow. Of course, played in uh, Matlock's team under Steve Kittrick. Um, it, like he's an interesting one because obviously he had some really good performances and you could tell he's got a lot of potential but he seems to be one of those players that kind of needs an arm around the shoulder quite a lot and sometimes in my opinion anyway I felt like he lost confidence quite easily but if he can be confident all the time and he can fulfil his potential you know he, he could do something within the football league so that's also worth keeping tabs on as well. For, for our listeners, you can tell Matt's a journalist because he's just interwoven there, the next topic, <laughs> very nicely. I'm, I'm sat here looking, I've got uh, this lovely notepad open with, oh, we're going to we discuss this, but Matt, Matt's definitely on the ball. 
So <laughs> we were going to brunt to Bramall and Bramall to now Bunny, who has made the move from Hartlepool to Grimsby Town. Another player returned to full-time football. Sadly, we didn't get to see a lot of Joe when he was with us because of the pandemic. I don't know if you've heard about it. No one really mentions it, but it's... Well, it, it sort of has dominated this season. But I think one of, one of the best moments, South Shields away, you've got this Matlock side that's full of gusto, full of heart. And going South Shields away is, is never easy. It's, um, it is a club with ambitions to be a full-time outfit. And for Joe to set up Alex Byrne, who is his best mate, score that goal. If with that, even if that is the only contribution, what a great moment for not not just the two lads in question, but the fans themselves. You always want to win those big games. And I think from what I've spoken to, I remember speaking to Paul Phillips, the manager, he was very quick to give praise about um, Bunny, saying he thought he was a player who wouldn't be with us long because he had potential to get back into the full-time game. I don't believe you were at the South Shields game due to ongoing pandemic issues. Oh, no, so, I was there for that one, yeah. I was there for South Shields. Oh, did you get the train up? Uh, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did get so, the train for uh, South I- Shields, yeah. I'm, I'm glad one of us remembers. So, given it was only one of two um, games he played for Matlock, because, of course, he won the penalty against Radcliffe, which was then dispatched expertly by Deck Walker. What did you make of Joe as a player in that short time? Yeah, uh, again, clearly someone with uh, a lot of potential. And, obviously, for someone, if he was actually playing regular football... Obviously, the circumstances that he's had within the past 12 months of, because uh, I think he had a quite a bad car crash, didn't he? And that's um, that's why he's suddenly gone from sort of like playing in the football league just to try and get as many games as he can um, to get him back up to that level, uh, which he looks like he is now getting there for. So, um, yeah, I saw him, yeah, against uh, South Shields, played really, really well. Um, you could see how versatile he was, especially for that level, because I saw him play up front. And cause I think Liam Hughes was suspended. That was his first suspended game. So I think Bunny played up front. But then he also played left back as well. And he, it was like uh, overlapping uh, the left wing in order for him to get that cross in for Alex Byrne to get the winning goal at South Shields. And uh, yeah, and I watched his other game as, as well. Um yeah, clearly someone that um, yeah you could you could see playing in the football league, and obviously is at that level now. It's just the big shame is that obviously one of the many shames with such a uh, uh, damaged season because of the circumstances um, is that he would have played probably not tons of games, obviously, but he would have played a lot more, maybe got to double figures at least. Um, if the season had been so badly affected. So we would have seen quite a bit more of him. No, maybe not would have scored loads because he could have alternated between being in defence and attack, but he certainly would have got two or three more assists at least, I think. So, uh, 
yeah, it is, it's a shame that fans only saw him for two games and obviously even then it's still a limited amount of fans that could have gone. But um, yeah, it's, it's, that's a good story. And obviously everyone held him in high regards. Um, yeah, it's good that he managed to get back up the ladder with uh, Hartlepool and now, uh, well, <laughs> hopefully he stays in the Football League because Grimsby are, uh, are involved in uh, a pretty big relegation battle right now. But um yeah, um, it's just nice to see him back in the football league um, at that level because, uh, yeah, uh, from what I saw, really, really good player and uh, deserves to get that uh, second bite of the cherry at football league level. I know during that you mentioned the, the car crash he was involved in. I know he's spoken about it uh, to another outlet and how it affected him. And it's, I, I always, what I really enjoy about Matt Lockdown is the club is never afraid to give people a chance. Yeah. So you, I think it's the great proving ground for players to come. And if it hasn't worked out for them elsewhere, it's a chance, you know, a clean slate. And Paul Phillips, more than anyone, he is somebody who I feel if he believes in you, he will throw 100% behind you and he will back you to the hill. And I think that that shows with Joe, especially he's come in. I believe he was told, look, if someone comes in for you and I believe Paul said this, then we won't stand in your way, but we feel we can help you out here. So for him to get these moves, I know when he joined Hartlepool, friend of the podcast, Jeff Stelling, welcomed him, of course. Is he he, he a guest next week? Well, he, he follows he follows us on Twitter, so stranger things <laughs> have happened. I'm just saying, you know, we're also in the the media world. Um, let them know, number one Matlock Town podcast. Um, it is the only Matlock Town podcast that we're aware of, but that doesn't make us not number one. So <laughs> it could happen, of course. I was looking to 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 go off slightly topic because that's just I'm a very off topic person. I was looking through the verified followers that Matt Town Twitter has the other day. So you've got the likes of Jeff Stelling, Jim White, uh, John Richardson, the comedian, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a big Leeds fan, yeah. But we'll not hold that against him. Um, <laughs> and just some names, and it, it blows, it will forever blow my mind that our family club in the heart of Derbyshire, that's... it. it for a lot of people, until the 70s and that great FHO front, it really wasn't put on the map. So to see more and more people be aware of Matlock Town, I think it shows the ambition the club has. And to, to go back briefly, since uh, I'm trying to do some journalism myself now, since we've mentioned the FA Trophy victory, um, myself and Matt, we just wanted to pass on our thoughts and prayers and just sadness at the passing of Peter Swan this past week. He is somebody who is a giant in Matt Lockdown's history. This is a man who took a team from a, a team that had just been festering in the lower reaches of non-league, uh, a team he was told that it, it wasn't possible. I know I'm a, a big fan of reading back 
the newspaper clippings, the articles, and you, you go back and you read through them, and there's so many times he was told, yeah, you, you've done incredible work, but you've got this Matlock side as far as you possibly can. And to then, not, not only taking Matlock to Wembley itself is, of course, an achievement, but to then take Matlock to Wembley to be a fantastic Scarborough side, for nil, and just, I, I don't know if you've seen it yourself, there's a fantastic video, and I believe it's in the public domain, of the open-top bus celebration that the club had when they returned to Matlock. I know, I remember my dad telling me that when we played at Wembley, apparently there was that many people that went from the town that if you weren't, it was like the town was a ghost town. Yeah. If you weren't there, you were you were missing something special. And... I know you you did a fantastic article speaking to a lot of players who played in that game and there was just this overwhelming feeling of love and appreciation to Peter Swan. If you've not checked out that article, you, you definitely should. Is there anything you want to add, Matt? Yeah, yeah it was just... Um, cause it happened about two weeks ago. I think it might have been two weeks ago today, I think. Um, yeah, it, it was just sad... Um, so I remember just it, it just flashed up. I think it was um, Sheffield Wednesday announced it. Of course, he played for a long time at Sheffield Wednesday. That's where he played for the vast majority of his uh, career. And um, yeah, and just uh, saw that. And yeah, just um, I knew he'd been ill for a long time because, well, <laughs> initially I did want to interview him, but I got told by... I think Tom Fennerty uh, to say he, he's been ill for quite a while, so um, it would be very unlikely that you'd be able to speak to him. Um, so, which was a shame. Uh, but um, yeah, but everyone that I spoke to, so uh, Tom Fennerty, um, Nick Fennerty, Colin Oxley, um, and Keith Brown as well, um, they all, I think they all. Because I did all, I had a question for about Peter Swan. But I think before I'd even said, mentioned his name, they, they'd already mentioned him themselves and said how much they liked him. So, and yeah, uh, it was just, yeah, really sad because obviously um, I think it has to be regarded as Matlock's um, most favourite manager among the fan base, obviously, for. Uh, for people who were following uh, them around the seventies as well, because uh, he led them to Matlock's greatest triumph. But yeah, had a very interesting career. Um, when you when you look into it, um, obviously played for England uh, just under twenty times, and um, uh, was in the nineteen sixty two World Cup squad, which was in Chile, I think. Um, but he didn't play because I think he was struck down with an illness basically as soon as he got there. So he didn't, he didn't actually make any appearances, uh, unfortunately, but yeah, um, very interesting career. And uh, yeah, well, obviously was held in very high regard by all the players that I interviewed. They all said um, he, he was, I think they all said he wasn't a tactical manager. He was very, very much a man management uh, manager and just, was kind of, I think they all said he was a friend to them, not just, you know, their boss. He was, obviously he was he was a player as well at the same time. He, he was just a mate to them as well. And I think what struck me most in the 
interviews that I did last year, whenever they mentioned uh, Peter Swan, was how he managed to uh, ease the nerves of everyone uh, before the games. Obviously, a huge game would have been the biggest game for all of those players' careers at that time. Um, well, for, for the vast majority, anyway. And um, and yeah, and obviously they were they were the underdogs, and they were going to be playing at Wembley. Obviously, the uh, bigger ground than what they were usually uh, accustomed to. And uh, yeah, just the stories of how he just calmed the nerves of the players, just uh, to try and make it seem like they were just playing at Causeway Lane, not to take too much ex- uh, notice of how much bigger the crowd was than normal. Uh, yeah, it was clear that they all uh, held him in very high regard. And uh, so, yeah, I was, you know, he'd been ill for a long time, but um, yeah, still very, very sad. And you could tell by the tributes that came in for him that um, he was a very well-respected figure, not just with Matlock, but with Chef Wednesday and uh, an England's national team as well. I just want to recount this uh, this quote from a, a fantastic tribute article that was written by Matt Lottar's head pen, Ian Richardson. It it just, it made me smile in a, in a time that I know was difficult. So I'm just going to read this out. Peter asked us to arrange a meal at the old English pub in Matlock for the players. Everyone must have steak, he said, and they must also have a glass of wine. Our players having a glass of wine before such a big match, I asked. Sure, Keith, said Peter. Don't you worry. This will really lift them into a great frame of mind. Well, he was totally correct. We won 2 0 and went to Wembley. That, of course, been a quote from Keith Brown in that article, as you mentioned. Somebody who has been at the club a long time. I know it, it was great to be able to hear his thoughts. And as we say, a lot of love and a lot of kind thoughts and just, you know, a lot of good memories on Peter Swan, and we send our love to the Swan family as a whole. Now we're going to switch over to something a little different. We're going to talk about the season, or lack of season, for, I think, something like 12 games, wasn't it? Yeah, and just as many cup games as there were league ones. It was six in the league and six in cups, yeah. I I don't think I've ever known Matlock draw that many away cup games, because I know we played... (laughs) Um, OJM Black Country, yeah. Well, there there you go. It's it's a mouthful for anyone. I'm glad you did because I don't think I'd have got it out. But (laughs) I know we played them at the Proctical Stadium, but originally that was an away game. I know you in particular (laughs) put some miles in, going here, Mm -hmm. there and everywhere. I think it's something like six cup games, six league games. I think our last home league game was... Mid-October. Yeah. And it's 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 devastating in a way because I don't think any Matlock fan would deny when we went into the first lockdown, Matlock were teetering on the edge of possible relegation. Um, Paul came in with a big job on his hands. So to go from that and, you know, Matlock would have stayed up, been... Been a bit of a stato, a bit of an anorak stato going through and looking. I believe Matlock would have stayed up had the games gone to, uh, had the league, sorry, been done on a points per game ratio. 
last season, but you never want to be cutting it that close. However, this season, and as we've mentioned, uh, Matlock, I think, has, along with Nantwich and a few other teams, had one of the lowest amount of games played. However, yeah. they did finish the season, if it has indeed finished. We're, we're still waiting on a to see what's the five folks at the Northern Premier League have for us. They finished second with a 2.17 points per game average. Now, if you told me that at the first lockdown, I would have been shocked. My mind would have been blown because I think looking at this season, to see the the turn that Matlock have had, particularly in the defence and in goal, those clean sheets, it, it just it you they always say you build from the back, and I think what Paul is beginning to build, he now has a foundation. I would have been really interested to see where that Matlock Town side could have pushed. Is mm. there any particular signing that has stood out to you? Yeah, Ryan Qualter. Um, I think, well, they've, they've made a lot of good signings. Um, and uh, obviously, it's, the squad's changed loads since uh, the last, uh, since the 2019 20 campaign. But uh, I think Ryan Qualter would, for me, be the standout just because when I was covering Matlock last season, so many games where they're just letting in silly goals, daft goals, and, you know, letting themselves down. Um, and it was happening like pretty much every game at one point when they're obviously on a, a very uh, really bad run of form. It just seemed to keep happening uh, where there was just defensive lapses. Uh, and apart from <laughs> apart from the very first league game, and apart from well, actually no, even even then the defense was pretty solid. They just the attack weren't creating much. But apart from the very last competitive game of the season. Well, that we think uh, against Coles Hill uh, in the FA Trophy. Um, the defence has been fantastic. And I think it's just been led really well by Qualter. Um, he's just solid as a rock. He's fantastic at getting the blocks in, not just at uh, tackling opponents and staying close to his marker all the time. There's just not, not nowhere near as many uh, silly errors going in as what there were last season. Um so, yeah, Qualter was, for me, the standout. A um, little bit surprised he's even playing at this level. A um, little bit surprised he actually got let go by Alfton. He can definitely still play at National League North, I would have thought. So, yeah, Qualter was, for me, the standout. Um, I'd say Liam Hughes, a close second. I know um, the jury was out on him a bit after the first couple of games. I think some fans maybe saw him as I don't know maybe saw him as a bit too slow maybe uh, I think that was some of the criticisms but even then the, the first couple of games when he hadn't scored I thought he was working extremely hard and uh, his work rate was just 10 out of 10 and then when he finally got his first goals of the season which was against um, Quorn and the FA Trophy is it can't remember. Ah, I believe so. thing. Yeah. And when he got those couple of goals in, um, yeah, he never really looked back. I think he's been terrific because his work rate's just absolutely phenomenal. So good. You can tell why 
Philo, Wildy, Kate Coppin, why why they all love him because uh, he's someone absolutely that you want in the team. And it's it's just a shame that obviously again the season, I mean, is very unlikely to be returning. But um, you know, it, it got cut short before we could see Hughes and Ross Hanna as a, a front two because it would have been really interesting to see how that would have uh, how that would have gone. Uh, but it probably looks like we'll have to wait a few more months before we see that properly. Well, I know for a fact um, Philo cast his net wide when it came to his strike search. And I know he, he spoke to Liam in particular. Liam and Ross played together at Barrow, I believe. And I know as, as soon as Liam was asked, he, he said, I think my ideal strike partner would be Ross Hanna. So it's going to be really interesting what those two are capable of once we are able to come back in a safe manner. But I like how you've mentioned Ryan Quartle there. Anybody who knows me knows I love a classic old-school centre-back, somebody who is not afraid to end up with mud all over the back and a few bumps and bruises going in for headers. And Quartle is, is just that, as a player. And not only that, he's, he's a leader, and there's so many leaders in that changing room this season. Yeah. So many people who take responsibility. I remember we one of the first training sessions we had, the lads got together. I remember Liam Hughes, who is a fantastic advocate for positive mental health. I know you did a fantastic interview <coughs> with him where he spoke about wands and what they do, which if you haven't checked out, you definitely should. I, I know he he spoke and he said to the lads like if anyone needs to talk, you know, we need to look after our mental health and I'm here for everyone. You just felt like, and I think that's the greatest compliment I can give, not only the players, but the management as well. And I'm, I'm not sure whether you agree with this, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. There's definitely a feeling, I, we're all in this together. We're all in the same level playing field. We're all driving towards that one goal. And yeah. I think going going forward now, that's the sort of attitude we need. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the main contrast between uh, the squad that we had last season and uh, the one that Matlock had for this season is just the amount of uh, leaders uh, that we've got. Um, there was definitely a lot of, there was a lot of quality in the season before and that was the most frustrating thing about it is that it was full of some decent players in there, like Dwayne Wiley, Dan Bramall, um, and you know, Peter Cruz, players like that, who definitely did have, they do have a lot of quality, but it, it was just so inconsistent. And whenever the team went a goal down, the heads went down. And um can't really think of many, any games at all, really, where in that season under Kittrick, where Matlock went, a goal down and then went on to win. It would always have to be Matlock that scored first. Um, yeah, so I think that's the main difference is that you've got much more of an actual team of players. Um, so even though you've got really good individual talents like uh, Liam Hughes and uh, Qualter and you know players that maybe go under the radar like uh, Mark Lees, that you've got a proper nucleus, like a team where you can tell, like, you know, that the, these are a team that gel, that get on well with each other. Um, and that, that's your main difference. And that's where the club need to go 
keep going whether this season comes back or not, whether we've got to wait till August uh, or wherever for the next season to start. It needs to keep going in that same vein. Um, so uh, I, Phil Owen Wildy definitely know what they're, what they're doing with that because they're building a team of um, n- not just talented players, but people that actually give a damn about Matlock and wants to, to play for the club that are not just there for, you know, a bit of money um, or, you know, as like a, a stepping stone to get more money at a higher level club. They actually do. You can tell like with players like Liam Hughes uh, and obviously, you know, players like Adam Yates, but players like Sean Rowley as well, that they really do care about the club and really want to, you know, play at a level above, a level above with this club. And yeah, you can tell that. So that, that that's your main difference. And that's where it's going to keep going forward um, by having that sort of, that sort of same spirit and atmosphere. Because I know I've spoken to Dave Wilde a lot uh, in past and he's always said how he wants to, you know, bring the good times back to the club. And he's right when he says, that the club have sort of drifted along for a while. And I think I think the chairman, Bryn Appley, has said sort of the same thing. You've, you've been just drifting along, plodding along for a bit. I did an interview with him before where he said, in some ways, being a member of the Northern Premier League for decades, decade after decade, for a club of Matlock's size, probably could, can be considered quite an achievement. And it is, but they can also push on. And I think with, you know, Philo in charge and Wildy in there as well, this is going to be the best way of going about it, I think. I I, I agree with that. I think we, we, we're lucky in the sense that even through times of hardship on the pitch, the, the fan support has never dipped. The club always has done excellent numbers when it comes to attendance. I know bettering some of those in the league above. So I feel, for me, the thing that Matlock has missed over time is we've always missed having a foundation to bring up. We're always looking at the start of the season and we're, you know, we're thinking, oh, I need to bring in 11, 12, 13 players because this whole squad needs reshaping. Because for whatever reason, and just because of how football is, sometimes things don't work out. Yeah. So when we go back now and thinking whether this season resumes or whether we start a new season or whatever happens, that you look at that squad and you think, this squad with maybe three or four additions tops could really be capable of pushing on. And I know you, you mentioned Mark Lees. I am first signee to the Mark Lees fan club. As a, as a fan, I think if you really get football and you love football, you will realise what an integral key a Martley sort of player is to that team. Because, don't get me wrong, he's, you know, the likelihood of him picking out a, a 60-yard pass is, is not the highest. But I, it amazes me, he doesn't come off the pitch about two inches shorter because the amount of running and work rate he does. And we, we've seen the, the side of that definitely. We've gone from... Um, what looks to be a conventional 4-4-2 to 
I know um, Paul likes to play, obviously, the three centre-backs, Ryan Coulter, Adam Yates, Sam Edgerton, all of which have been great. You've got your, your right wing-back, your left wing-back. Looking at it now, and there's, there's somebody I want, I want to give a quick mention to as well, is Rhys Kendall. Yeah. Because here's a man, when, when he came to the club, he was somebody that I know came with a lot of noise behind him in how there were a lot of expectation. And I know he's only a young man. Uh, I can say that, even though I'm only 29, yet look about 40. But uh, he is someone who had to wait for his chance. I know Lewis Turner was before him in the pecking order. And you wondered, is this going to work out for Reese at Matlock? Is he going to be capable? And when Lewis moved on, it felt like it was really a sink or swim moment for Reese. And when he stepped into that side now, and he, he he took it by the scuff of the neck, and he is somebody who has just come on leaps and bounds. And he is somebody, I, I remember when we signed him, Philo said, this is a lad who has all the potential in the world. And he's just showing it now, week mm. on week. This is a guy who... Like, I think last season, we scored one goal from defence. Yeah. All season, which I think was James Williamson against Kidsgrove. Yeah, and then he left the club about two weeks after that, yeah. Yeah, we'll not, we'll not hold it against him. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Gaysborough's lovely at the start of year. But as that was something that I know... Dave Wilde in particular, who is, is big into his stats and his technology, it was something they pointed out. So you look at it now, Reese Kendall, Det Walker, you know, those sort of players, Ryan Coulter, popping up with goals. It's, it's vital because you shouldn't ever have to rely on one source for goals. Because if you do and that, that source gets injured or yeah. the player moves on, that's, that's where it's a struggle. So... Going the three-five-two route, which it appears to me, what we play, although Philo has been known to to chop and change, he is capable of that. There's a a man who, for me, and it'd be interesting if you agree with me, is the best winger in the Northern Premier League. Maybe the angriest as well, <laughs> and that man is Alex Byrne. What a player and what an absolute pleasure to watch. Yeah, yeah. He's um I think what embodies uh, his um uh potential the most was uh, the game away at South Shields where he, he well, like pretty much all the Matlock team just puts hundred percent work rate in um and obviously really, really cares about the team as well. He's just um because he's mainly sort of like the set piece man with the free kicks and putting the crosses in. Again, it's just that that was something that Matlock just didn't really have last season. Uh, Matlock's main goal threat was Marcus Marshall, who was terrific and did really, really well last season because there was so much pressure on his shoulders because he's not he wasn't even an out-and-out striker. He was basically having to play as practically Matlock's lone man before Chip Jalaka arrived. Um, and it, that that was why it just didn't really work out for Matlock last season because there was just no threat. We had no good threat really from 
crosses coming in from the wing and stuff like that or from set pieces. Whereas now you do have someone who actually is a proper playmaker and um, is your main creative outlet uh, when you've when you when you've got a guy out on the wings. So Alex Byrne is a really good example of um, you know how Matlock have moved on uh, since last season. Um, so yeah, he's yeah, he's a really, really good player to have. Uh, he can be a bit gobby, if that's the right way to put it. I know he can. I know he actually got subbed off once. I'm not sure if I'm even allowed to say that, but I know he got subbed off oh, once. He'll because, be, uh... <laughs> he'll be on phone to you about this now. You'll, you've not heard the last of this, Matthew Rhodes. No, he, um, but yeah, he got subbed off. Which game? Geisley. In, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll not say anything about the referee in that game. But uh, he got subbed off in that game running his mouth a little bit. But again, that that is just something that wouldn't have happened last season because barely anyone talked in the team last season. It was only really Adam Yates. And you need to have players that actually are passionate and, you know, uh, actually communicating with the team. Because last season, it was really only Adam Yates that did that. And now all of them do it pretty much. All of them. I remember when Matlock went down... um, not the last one against Coles Hill. Uh, Coleville? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was Coleville, actually. Yeah. Uh, in that game, because uh, obviously Matlock went 2-0 down um, fairly early on after about 30 minutes. They were already 2-0 down. And, yeah, and everyone was just, like, you know, pumping each other up and, you know, actually saying, communicating and saying, this is what we need to do better. And I've also seen it when Matlock have been in winning positions as well. You know, players like uh, Qualter and Byrne actually still communicating with players and saying how oh, this should be better and that this this is what we need to keep doing and to not let concentration slip. You know, that kind of thing just didn't really happen last season. And that, that's your main difference with uh, a team that's, you know, being led by Philo and, and, and Wildy. Um, it's just a lot better. So it, it's just... You, you need players in like that. And yeah, Alex Burns, another good example of that. It's, it's as we said, there's so many leaders in that dressing room now. And yeah. I think to, to be a successful club, and I, I know how hard it is in the league to get these sort of players, but you need somebody who, even when they're having an off day, is capable of summing up, summoning something special up. And Alex is just one of those players. I mean, you look at the amount of assists he's got this season. Yeah. Whether it be from set pieces, dead ball situations, whether it be from crosses alone, it's it's that dynamic that's that's changed. And when you've got players who are capable of heading the ball, the likes of Hughes, Qualter, Yates, Edgerton, Spencer Harris, just to name a few. You know, it's no good having those players if you haven't got somebody who is capable of whipping a ball in. Yeah. And luckily, and and through hard work of Paul Phillips and Dave Wilde and his staff, we've got some sort of dynamic in that. And it's the the biggest compliment that I can give to Paul and Dave is that the side, it's not just. They, they get together on match days and that's it. This is a bunch of lads who are friends off the pitch as well. And you need to have that dynamic fighting 
um, trying to battle all towards one target because otherwise, and like like we've seen in previous seasons at times, heads would go down and it's confidence is something that doesn't always come naturally in football. So when you go a goal down, you're on a bit of a bad run, that'll hurt. So you need leaders to step up on the pitch. And I think there's, there's a lot there for Gladiators fans to be cautiously optimistic, I'd say. Come yeah. in whenever we're back and looking at it and just thinking, we've got the platform, we've got the foundation now, and it's going to be really interesting. I hope we'll be able to get Paul and Dave on this podcast at some point to talk about their plans and their thoughts on the season because they're both very intelligent, especially in football. And the the people who I know when I've interviewed them and you've interviewed them and not afraid to say what they think. And it's just the same off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I mean, I I really like it. Cause I mean, I feel like, um, the interviews I do with Philo and with Wildy would not really be that much different if it was an unrecorded conversation that we were having at the Shorts Lounge Bar. It wouldn't be that much different, to be honest, but I like it because it's just very natural. And, you know, I, I know I'm getting honest answers, not like, you know media-friendly sort of uh, responses. I know I'm getting genuine ones. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's always really appreciated. And that's why I really like interviewing both of them because I think they are two quite different personalities um, in terms of uh, at least how they sort of um, speak in the media. But I really like it because they're both very genuine and very, very honest. And, yeah, like I say, the... Conversations that I have with them, well, <laughs> when the Shorts Lounge Bar was open anyway, when it was allowed to be, uh, they weren't that much different really from uh, when I was when, you know, you were recording me and it was being videoed. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is very refreshing to have that sort of um, relationship because there has to be some sort of, there has to be an element of of trust between, you know, your media and um and your management staff. And I think we've definitely got that at Matlock. Uh, There's many, many stories I could tell about Dave Wilde. (laughs) Not sure how many of them would be allowed to stay in the podcast. Um, He is... He'll probably tell tell you all about it in a couple of weeks anyway. Oh, well, we'll have to get the bleep machine at the ready, I think. (laughs) But he is someone I refer to as the Mad Hatter of football. He is a handful, but he loves the game and he's just somebody who is so passionate that it's it's difficult to not back him and get on side with him because he's got such this rich sense of humour as well. And, and Philo's the same. Philo's a bit more quieter, but he, he's somebody who lives and breathes the game. And it, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Matlock fan. And I think from what we've seen in those 12 games if we had to condense it down to a few sentences, it's promising. There's still room to build. And I think as things stand, 
we are a club that could possibly have ambitions to fight for a playoff spot, maybe for the championship, if that is something, if we can keep this side together. And it's going to be interesting when the football does return to see that side get back together and see if they can get the flow and the style of gameplay that we've already seen this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I just finished sort of by saying on, on this topic anyway, by saying it, it is, well, <laughs> obviously we all know why the season is probably coming to an end and in my opinion, it should at this point uh, because it's just there'd just be too many matches to play between like a three-month period. Um, but it is such a shame that the season has come to an end because it would have been fascinating to have seen where Matlock would have come. Um, at the start, I I thought top half would be really good for Matlock, but genuinely, sort of like within that sort of past couple of games, I was thinking, yeah, playoffs is a genuine possibility and I need to be more positive about it, like uh, like Wildy was in particular, that they really were building something good. Because maybe, look, there are better teams on paper overall, like South Shields. And, um, and well, <laughs> it's going to come across badly. On paper, I would probably say Buxton and maybe teams like Baseford. But in terms of the team spirit, when you add that into the mix, it was making Matlock a very dangerous prospect I think and teams like South Shield who by all fi- by all things considered were very unlucky not to go up last year and unlucky not to be in the National League North won't have enjoyed playing the likes of Matlock and they ended up coming a cropper against them so yeah um, I genuinely think Matlock had a real chance of being in the playoffs and obviously if you get to that stage it's it's a bit of a lottery especially when it's not over two legs so yeah, yeah. Who, who who knows? It's just a real shame that we'll probably never get to find out. Well, I know uh, you mentioned our friends down the A6 there. I know they must be thrilled to be even mentioned in the same sentence as the great Matlock Town. But we'll, we'll leave that there because we don't want this podcast going three hours of me telling you the many ways that Matlock Town is better than Buxton FC. And as I say, thoughts of mine, nobody else's, but nod, nod, wink, wink. Right, that's the news. Normally it will be more condensed because we won't have a season to review constantly. Oh, unless we're told... <laughs> well, unless we're told next week we're coming back and to get everything ready. Now, for our next segment of the podcast. It's like a Terry's Chocolate Orange. We're segmented and we're, we're breaking into the good bit. We're heading over to our friends at thefootballarchives.com for a segment that doesn't have a name, but it's like this just be called On This Day. Because on this day, Matlock Town, 6th of February, 1971, Matlock Town beats uh, a club. I don't know if you've heard of the Burton Albion. <laughs> I've, I've the heard of them, yeah. Winning 2-1 in front of a crowd of 2,832. Uh, a, a club that now you look at it, you look at Ben Albion and see what they've achieved. And it's like, will other non-league clubs be able to achieve that in the future? 
So that is just one of several games. Of course, we've got, um, we had a, a little toddle over to Wales on the 6th of February, 1988, where we played Bangor City. Um, won that game 2-0. Bit of a, a Northern Premier League tryout for us there. The most recent game on this date was in 2018, when we played Warrington Town. Sadly, we lost that game. Uh, I seem to remember it was bitterly cold. <laughs> And I lost feeling in my fingers. So not only was the result poor, I had no feeling in my fingers. I remember the editing of the video took twice as long. So if you want to check out more stats, thefootballarchives.com, great website, full of stats for any any team you want, any non-league team, highly recommend you go check them out. And this segment will be back, hopefully... We'll be able to talk about a few more games, be able to talk about a few games with our guests that will hopefully come on this podcast if they're still listening. And who knows, this this segment will hopefully develop and we'll see what happens. Now, moving on to getting to know Matthew Rhodes, a man who, to my knowledge, and he's got... You'll not be able to see this because... It's not a visual podcast, it's an audio podcast. But I've noticed he keeps looking off the screen ever so slightly. And I have a feeling that is because his beloved Aston Villa are currently playing, as we record this. And to my knowledge, and I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong, they're 1-0 up against uh, a Mikel Arteta's Arsenal side. Uh, I've switched it off uh, just in case I was getting a bit too distracted by it. The last I checked, uh, Villa. Oh my word! Um, so <laughs> that might need to be cut out a little bit. So I've just uh, found out that Chesterfield's game has been called off because of another positive coronavirus test. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, um, yeah, the I was uh, Villa were one nil up, but I've not checked it for a bit because I was uh, worried I was getting a bit too distracted. But uh, but yeah, I'm a big Villa and Chesterfield fan, and uh, yeah, so just found <laughs> just so, unbelievably another Chesterfield game has been called off. So I think some people uh, correct me if I'm wrong would say you're a bit of a glut for punishment uh, when mm. it comes to sporting football clubs. Then what is it about? Like what links you to Aston Villa and Chesterfield? I know you were previously have lived in Chesterfield. You now live in Sheffield. What uh, do you have links with this club? Is it is it family related or is it a case of as a kid you watched Aston Villa, saw David Ginler, and just thought that's what will club for me? Uh, well, in terms of Villa. Um... <laughs> There, there was. I mean, I have no links to Birmingham whatsoever. Um, so the story that I would always give out, just because it was just easier to say, was just um, my granddad on my dad's side supported them and was a big supporter, which which was true. He was a very big supporter of Aston Villa. That happened to actually be a coincidence. The real reason why I supported Villa was because when I was about five years old and sort of getting interested in uh, in watching football. Uh, my two elder brothers uh, were ha- having a debate about who had the best kit and decided it was Villa. 
and uh, and then they decided to uh, persuade me to support Villa when I was about five or six years old. So that is the actual reason uh, why I support Villa. It's a very daft reason, and that's why for ages I just said, yeah, it's because my granddad supports them, which just happened to be a coincidence. But uh, yeah, uh, but once you have attached yourself to a team, as much as I've wanted to over certain years, you just can't get rid of it. And so I've always supported Villa. But obviously, I, also, I'm a, I'm a two-team supporting horrible person uh, because, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm born in Chesterfield, lived there up until I was 18 before I moved to uh, uni to do my undergrad. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's where um, the Chesterfield supporting uh, comes from as well. So uh, when I got a bit older and realised, uh, you know, not everything was about the Premier League, um, a sort of the interest in Chesterfield, whilst it was there, it, it grew more and more and um, ended up surpassing Villa. I think we'll have a, a chairman, Mr. Brynapoli, shaking his fist at Beskitt. We know he's an ardent Everton fan. Uh, fun fun fact here, uh, just throwing it in. Everton formed the same year as Matlock Town. One of the chances, 1878. Useless knowledge that no one needed to know, but there you go. <laughs> uh, but I know what you mean. I remember I was really fortunate as a child. Uh, my family has watched Matlock for over 100 years. I'd say my dad's mum took him to games. My dad took me and there's a, a very famous uh, Bobby Robson quote about what football is and getting there and just seeing the pitch and being overcome and just falling in love with what non-league and just football in general is about and I, I remember going to my first few games and just it, it, that was my treat on Saturday my dad would take me to the game and there's nothing like backing a football club because especially when it comes to a non-league club because you, you know you'll be in, in the classroom and everyone will be like yeah I support Man United I support Manchester City Chelsea Spurs Aston Villa loads of different teams and then they come to you go who do you support James I go oh, Matlock Town and they go oh Mat- Matlock Town yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but the different that. The difference is, I actually was able to go watch the on Saturday. <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. I, at primary we, school, I would always be laughed at when I said I supported Villa because ge- genuinely at that point, everyone supported Man U. <laughs> everyone supported Man U. Uh, and then, sort of, they're at secondary school. Uh, school, school. Um, my first team would be Chesterfield, and then it would, it would, it would either be people supported Man U or some would support Chef Wednesday, some would support Chef United. Um, so, yeah, it was still fairly rare uh, for someone to say outright that they supported Chesterfield. But I think, actually, it is becoming more of a norm to, I don't know, uh, make it so that there's not as much of uh, an issue with saying, yeah, your first team is a team that might not even be fully professional, that it's semi-pro. I don't think it has the the same sort of stigma as it used to uh, if you were a teenager and saying that that, that was your team. Um, so, yeah, I think that's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, apologies there if anyone can hear me cat chiming in. 
he, uh, oh, right. <laughs> he's, he's just a he's just a noisy bugger. He he's just having a little moment. So we're prepared to play to him on that one. But I, I for me, I remember um, there was an injury in a game and the ball was put out for a throw in. And I remember being stood with my dad and Danny Holland, who played for Matlock at the time, who was like, he was our big goal scorer. This was in his first spell. It just came over and I had a chat with my dad. Perfectly, just normal chat. And I remember just in my head thinking, this is our top goal scorer. And he knows my dad. And I think that's the great thing about non-league is you go into the bar after the game and the players there, you can just chat and you're not seen as just a number. You see, you know, and everybody is in this strong knit community. Everybody looks out for each other. And it's that big sort of community vibe, which I think is pulling a lot of people into non-league as well as how non-league football is more affordable than ever before. You know, it's rare now that you can have a £20 note in your pocket, go out, watch a game of football, nip it at Chippy on the way home and still have change. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, non-league football in particular, um, of the last sort of maybe two, three years, well, obviously, uh, this kind of season would have to be discounted, obviously, because of the circumstances of it. But uh, I think it is getting more and more popular because... I don't really have any evidence or stats to back this up, so this is just my hunch. But I, I just think because there is so much Premier League and Championship football on television, there is so much of it. Like even on like Thursday and Friday nights, there'll be a game on either in the Premier League or the Championship. I think because there's so much and there's so much money put into it that supporters of those teams it kind of feels like a business primarily and not a sport anymore. Uh, whereas your local non-league team is f- first of all a sport before being a business. So I've, I've, I think a lot more people are getting into the idea of at least having like a second team and actually going to watch them because I think a lot more people are becoming a bit more disillusioned with the sheer amount of Premier Leagues. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, you would have, it it was firmly set in tradition. So when I was a kid, so like say 95, 96, 97, you would have your, so like following Villa, you know, you would have eight Saturday games and they all kicked off at three o'clock. You couldn't watch them unless you were at the game. And then you'd either watch it on Match of the Day or you'd listen to radio coverage of it. And then you'd have a Sunday four o'clock game and you'd have a Monday eight o'clock evening game. And they, they, they were your two televised ones. And that was it for the league every week. Whereas now, it, it it's just, it's not the same anymore. Um, and it, it, I think people become a bit disillusioned with it. You probably have like two games now that kick off at three o'clock on a Saturday because every other game is on television. And I feel like a lot of people, even like before the pandemic hit, kind of was getting a bit disillusioned with just how much money was being put into it. Uh, I, I think once, once things are back to normal, God knows when that might be, but when it is, 
I think you'll really see some good crowds for non-league because especially with the amount of time that's passed where you've not been able to go as well. I think with the amount of time people have missed it uh, and the chance to actually go to watch some affordable football again uh, in person, I think it'll end up being that non-league football will end up becoming more popular than it ever has been. I I think a lot of football clubs, in my opinion anyway, forget as well that it is the people's game. It's not about... And I know football clubs have to run themselves as businesses and they have to, you know, they have to stay in profit. But more so than ever, I feel that sometimes fans are looked at as just a number and I feel that rips the heart out of what makes football football. And like you say, those those three PM games or the seven forty five kickoffs on a Tuesday, it for a lot of people, football is almost a religion. And I, I've always said those times, the three PM kickoff, the seven forty five on a Tuesday, they they bookend my week. That's something that when I've spoke to fans in the past and they've said to me, that's what they look forward to. They work hard all week. They in their spare time, they, they just want to come and watch some football. They want to be entertained. They want to enjoy themselves. And, you, you know, you spoke very briefly there about football on telly. You look at how many packages you need now to watch. If, if you want to watch every Premier League game, you need about 15, 16 different packages. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got BT Sport and, I mean, that that's still... That's enough for me. I mean, I, I'm still getting it free because of the circumstances that we're all in. Um, so I'm able to watch sort of like this stuff and there's still plenty to go by. Like there's still not really a day that goes by where there's like there's nothing to watch in terms of football. Like I could have watched football this morning. I could have watched uh, Australian soccer uh, at like eight in the morning if I wanted to. And that's what I mean. There's, there's just so much on. Uh it's crazy. I mean, as well as the English game, the British game, I can still watch French football on there, uh, uh, German football. I can watch German second-tier football. It's, I mean, it is good, but it, it's. I, I, I think it pushes people, I think, more into when actually watching a game live, actually at the ground, I think, once things are back to normal... Uh, it's going to push more and more people into actually watching non-league in person, which I think is a good thing because it's just, it kind of feels like uh, your non-league is still what the sport was originally intended to be, whereas your top flight league is now your, your, your business, really, more than more than a sport, if you see what I mean. Oh, oh for sure, there's... Yeah. There's elements that come in. I know uh, lads that have dropped into non-league who have been in that academy setting at clubs in full-time, and it, it can knock the stuffing at you, and it can take away your love of football. I know for me, I only support one club, always have done, Matt Lockdown, that, that, that's my club, for better or worse. And you, you look at it now, and I, I watch these games... Um, through totally legal means. And as I'm watching them, I'm thinking, 
I'm not enjoying this because it's just making me realise how much I miss being down at the Protocol Stadium. How much I miss even the silly things like, you know, the, the rattle of the tannoy that's struggling to handle the bass from the latest Dua Lipa song or, you know, the smell of Bovril that someone's having three rows down. And you yeah. just, you, you don't get that. That is something that I don't feel the the big wigs at these channels will ever be able to re, uh, replicate. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. it's, there's a real beauty to no league that if if you listen to this and you've got this far in and you've never been to a non-league game, firstly, I'm just going to presume you click something by accident and you don't know how to get off this, which in that case, thanks for listening. But if if you are listening to this and, you know, you live far afield, uh, I know we now have a Matlock Town Brazil fan account, which will forever blow my mind, that some um, lovely chap in Brazil dropped us a message and said, do you mind if I translate your post into Portuguese so I can share it with people who in- enjoy your football this side of the continent? And that will always blow my mind ever so slightly. So if you ever get the chance after the pandemic, don't come over during the pandemic, of course. Yeah, don't uh, do that. No, you don't want to be spending a lot of money on a, a quarantine hotel. But if you ever get the chance to visit a non-league game, whether it be Matlock Town, whether it be somewhere else, I implore you to take that opportunity and you'll not regret it. But talking about non-league and, and you know, we've seen Chesterfield slide into non-league now, which is un- unfortunate for the, any Spyrax fan. I know uh, a good portion of my family are Spyrats fans, but I don't hold that against them. Uh, I love them all equally. Uh, I mean, my dad had the right idea as a Matlock Town fan, of course, but what made you... I know you took journalism at university, I believe. Uh, No, I didn't know. I did... uh, My my undergrad was in uh, English literature, creative writing and practice, and my master's was in writing... Uh, I did student radio at uh, at Lancaster University. I always imagined student radio and hospital radio is very much like that. Um, if you remember Alan Partridge, Mid Morning Matters sketch, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> yeah, some of it. Some of it is like that, yeah. And I, I love it. I remember um, doing a bit of radio myself and trying to link everything together, and then I just realised. Uh, I was listening for you, James. The the listening for the music. Just put the music on. Stop talking. Um, and that was me, mum. So <laughs> the, the less said, the better. But you you then make the move, and I will give you all the credit in the world. You were one of the most hardworking and ambitious people in the journalism field. You you constantly wanting to make content and you seem to really care about what you put out, which is, I feel it is the main thing when it comes to journalism you need to do. But what was it about Matlock Town that you thought that's the club that I want to be involved with? Um, So I'd not done anything for a long time um, because I'd done uh, Lancaster City coverage uh, when they were a division below Matlock. 
um, at that time. Because uh, I did, I was at Lancaster 2006 to 2009. So I did Lancaster uh, for the last two years there. And that was just like completely thrown into the deep end. Uh, the guy who was the head of sport at the station before me had this idea to do Lancaster City commentaries. Um, and I ended up joining their sports team and just did it because that, that it, it was something I was interested in doing and would like to have done as a career. Uh, so did that without like any training whatsoever. So God knows what that sounds like now if I was to listen to it now. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And then was very naive after that finished because thinking, well, I'll, I'll just work in radio <laughs> when uh, when uh, when university finished and then uh, the credit crunch happened and the recession. And then it just became a question of, I just need to find a job anywhere full stop uh, in 20, like 2009, 2010. Um, did a little bit of hospital radio, uh, um, HBS, Hospital Broadcasting Sheffields, did that for six months. And then after that, uh, kind of gave up, kind of felt a bit sorry for myself because I've realised it was a lot harder than what I thought to get into uh, any sort of like radio or media. So I, I kind of gave up for a long, for a number of years. And then um, there was, uh, I liked the Chesterfield media coverage uh, from about like three years ago. Um Graeme Smith and a guy, I can't remember his name now, um, that covered the team. And if any of you sort of know, have a, a, an idea of what it was like supporting Chesterfield at that time under the Dave Allen, um, Ashley Carson era, probably have to be a bit careful with what I say here, but uh, it was uh, a very challenging time to be a supporter. But I always enjoyed how the club was covered media-wise um, and I thought it was just really impressive. And I just decided to write an article just off my own bat uh, about how um, supporting Chesterfield was one of the worst, like most depressing teams to support uh, in the country at that time, uh, which sort of went mm, not viral, but like half viral. <laughs> uh, it went locally viral. And, um, and yeah, and then it suddenly made me think I really why have I not been doing this? Like, I really enjoyed it. Even if it didn't work out, I enjoy doing it. I should be doing this. Uh, and then I noticed uh, Holly Bacon, another journalist on uh, Twitter, just put up a job advertisement with Derbyshire Media Company uh, that was run by Josh Smith, who works for, well, Peak FM, when that used to be a thing, and um, BBC Radio Derby. Um, and yeah, and just got in touch with him and just said, I'd be really looking to just do anything. Like, I'm fully aware it's it's volunteering, like I'm not going to be paid for it or anything like that. But I just want to get experience again and uh, and start the basis again to try and make a career out of it. Um, and he said, the best team for you to cover that you thought in terms of, you know, what would be good for me and in terms of location uh, would be Matlock Town. Um, and so yeah and to, to be honest I didn't know a massive amount about the club not not loads anyway and yeah like I knew like we, we'd always play uh, Chesterfield would always usually play Matlock pre-season and I knew Matlock had a very nice ground although I'd never been there 
uh, that was kind of all I knew, really. Uh, so I kind of went into it blind, but in a way that was like a good thing because it just it was like a fresh slate and to just start afresh and really get myself really invested in it. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, after the first game I did, so the first game of the last season, home against Bamba Bridge. And, and yeah, just after the game, felt amazing. It was just kind of like, God, like, why, why have I not been doing this like throughout my 20s? Because I'm 33 now. And I was just like, I just don't know why I've not been doing stuff like this before because I just enjoy it so much. Like, I really enjoy reporting on football and pretty much any sport, really. And so, yeah, so that, that that's, that's why I try and do as much as possible now. Um, probably more than what I should be doing because uh, of time constraints. But that's why I try and do as much as I can to make up for lost time because I spent a lot of my twenties doing just kind of bog standards call center work, uh, which is really not something I'm interested in doing at all. And I should be doing stuff like this. So that's kind of why I do so much now because I enjoy doing it. I don't see it as work. Uh, if you enjoy it, I don't. I don't really see it as work because uh, it's not a challenge. It's just something I'm passionate about, and I'm passionate about doing a good job for it. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's why I do as much as I can uh, with the club because I really, really enjoy it. And yeah, that's that's the main main thing about it, really. I just want to point out to our listeners here for for those who. Don't, Matt said he was 33 there. I'm 29, right? <laughs> and I just want to point out, Matt, full head of hair, looks <laughs> younger than me. I'm four years younger than him, and somehow I look 20 years older. Where is the justice? That's what I want to know. Where is the justice in the world? Well, I've got plenty but, of hair at the back. I mean, it's all going at the front, but that's mainly because of my daughter. But, um, but yeah, it, it's but, going quickly at the front. Let me tell you, I kill for hair at the back <laughs> I'm um, I'm bold as the day is long put it that way but uh, get a Wayne Rooney uh, hair transplant well I'll have, I'll have to talk to the club about that I don't think I can sort of sneak that on expenses really um, Why, Wild did sponsor it I, I dread to think I remember <laughs> once um, I'm going to tell a Dave Wild story I wasn't going to but I will I mean, that could be a feature in itself. Oh, it could. I remember we we played Grantham at FA Cup. We beat them and we're all buzzing. And, you know, Callum Dolan scored this this last 10-minute goal and we're all like... Um, so we have Matt come down, stadium's cleared out, see YLD. First, literally first thing he says to me, he says, how fast do you think I can run around this running track? <laughs> and I'm just looking at you, I'm like, of all the things, Dave, of all the things you could have come out with there, that was not the one I was expecting. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to do it, time me. And that, that, that just, if you wanted the Dave Wilde in a nutshell, that'd be sort of it. But I, I want to point out to our listeners as well, and they're hopefully still here, and not sick of my voice by this point. But for those who are still here, Matt has 
when he comes to Korean games, Matt pays his own travel. He, a lot of it, you know, trains, as we know, not the cheapest. <laughs> but uh, a lot of what Matt does is voluntary. A lot of it is experience. And I'm sort of amazed you're still with us, to be honest, in that regard. But uh, coming from Sheffield, it's not cheap. So if you see him at a game after the pandemic and you want to thank him for his coverage, do buy him a pint. Because or... he doesn't drive, so we ain't going to worry about that. So if you want to thank him, you know, chuck a, chuck a half a pint his way. Or if you feel if you feel a bit fancy, chuck a full pint his way. Now, not only is your work life changing, your personal life is changing. Because for those who don't know, you and your lovely fiance, which I'm not sure I know you're engaged. I don't know. I mean, it's not really a time to be setting wedding dates, I guess, at the minute, is it? No, um, absolutely not. <laughs> But you um, became a, a father for the first time. How are you finding that and the challenges it brings? Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, it is... Um, uh, it's, it's hard to sum up in a few sentences, but it's um, just... What well, everything that I sort of hoped it would be, it's uh, it's just been surpassed like a hundred times over. Uh, it's just been, it's just amazing, and and you learn, you fully learn more about you learn. How do I put this without it coming across really corny? It's difficult. Um, well, the cornier the better. <laughs> the more, you, well, I think you just you end up learning fully who you are as a person and um yeah you just it's good it's because i struggle with anxiety very badly and used to struggle with it more before i was on medication but um basically all the worries that i had about myself have gone now uh but they just become transferred over to your uh, your child, so <laughs> so i still have the same amount of worry and anxiety but it just uh it doesn't really go on myself now. It just goes on to my uh, my child. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. She's a very uh, smiley and happy baby. Uh, she's just under six months old. But um, she um, only sees um, myself and uh, my fiancé. Uh, they're really the only people that she ever sees on any sort of regular basis. So it's very... Yeah, she's been born at a very unique time. So uh, the main reason I just want everything to at least go almost back to normal is just so that um, I can actually show my daughter um, <laughs> what normality actually looks like because what, what you've experienced all your life isn't actually what should be happening. <laughs> it's very, very strange. I, I know for anyone who follows me on social media, any pictures you put of your daughter, she is constantly smiling. She is clearly an extremely happy little girl. And she's not afraid to be vocal as well. I know what we've had phone calls in the past. She's she's very, very key to putting her thoughts as well. Do you think 
Are you, you going to try and push for it to be a football fan? Push for it to be a Villa or Chesterfield fan? Or are you going to let her, you know, make her own choices when it comes to football fandom, if that is something she's interested in? Uh, I will push her into not being a Mansfield Town fan. Well, but, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I won't push her into anything. No, whatever she wants to do, she can do. Um, yeah, um, I don't want to be one of those that kind of like uh, you know, kind of pushes her into uh, into anything if she don't want to do it. But yeah, I, I like the idea of um, you know, once she's old enough, I, I, I'd love it if. Uh, you know, she she was in even if it was just a little bit like uh, interested in uh, well, it doesn't have to be football, any any sort of sports. There's not really many sports I, I dislike to be honest. I like most things. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love it if uh, I was able to uh, just you know go to games with her. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be where, when I'm working or anything like that. Just you know, like going to a a Chesterfield game to watch a game as a fan whenever whenever I'm next allowed to do that might be about a couple of years off but uh but yeah because um it it just uh it's just good for bonding and stuff like that because I, I I always felt um like uh it, it's a good relationship I have with my own dad like when I go to Chesterfield games because he didn't he was always too busy he was always usually working uh when uh my, well, I've got two brothers my eldest is not interested in football but the other one certainly is but he didn't really go to Chesterfield games with him because he was usually working on Saturdays at that time but now because now that he's um self-employed and uh, not, not doing as much uh now um at the age he is um we're able to go to games together and that's just you know it's just a nice thing to do it builds your relationship up even more so yeah I'd really like the idea that if she's uh, interested in football but you know if, if it's clear she's not bothered I will uh, you know I'll just have to have another kid <laughs> well um, I mean fiance's not an earshot um, bit no, of family she, planning she's upstairs she hasn't heard anything about that so uh, oh well um <laughs> Let's hope she don't listen in there. <laughs> but I hear that around Christmas time, you purchased a secret weapon to get your daughter into football. And that secret weapon was something that is available on the Matlock Town online club shop. That secret weapon is known as Matlock Monkey. Now, you've purchased a few things from the online club shop. What would you say... Would you say the Matlock Monkey has become the figurehead of your daughter's toys? I'd say uh, the Matlock Monkey is a major player, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, she really likes uh, the Matlock Monkey. She plays with him a lot, tries to eat him a lot, which is not advisable. But, uh, yeah, uh, as long as uh, one of us is uh, supervising her at all times, uh, then, uh, yeah, she likes playing with him. Uh, yeah, it's very, very good. What else? Have I, but I've got, I've got other stuff from Matlock as well. I think you got uh, a mug. Okay. Yes, yeah, I've got a Matlock mug as well and a postcard because my mom loves postcards. So, <laughs> so I got her a postcard as well. But, uh, but yeah, there's loads of things now on the uh, club shop. Though <laughs> I think that's easily the most merchandise I've ever seen the club have. 
It's it's brilliant. And I just want to add, when Matt says he got a Matt Little mug, he wasn't referring to me. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. But the online club shop is something that has taken off in, in a massive way. Graham Corker, I, I bow down to your merchandising powers. You, He is somebody who's constantly working. He's got these big ideas in. You, you go online now and there's so much stuff. And it's it, the best thing about it is it's good quality stuff. It's not stuff that is cheap or nasty. I recently per, uh, purchased, I did purchase, uh, Joel purchase, odd, odd link for you there. Um, I recently purchased some jogging bottoms and a hoodie from the online club shop. And I have to say, it, it's some of the comfiest clothing that I own. Uh, Graham has gone out of his way to secure um, really top fabrics to so you're getting your value for your money. I know recently the online club shop did a, a free delivery in January. Uh, Graham came to me and he, he came to the club and he said, look, um, you know, I know money's short for a lot of people around Christmas. We, we've just had Christmas. I want to make it so our fans are able to still purchase items, but save a little bit of money. So genius idea there. Uh, so definitely, if you've not had a chance to look at the online club shop, this is your chance. Have a mosey on over, have a look round, purchase a few things. Valentine's Day is coming up. What says I love you more than a Matlock Town pencil case or, you know, Matlock Town key ring? Or if you're feeling rather fruity, a Matlock Town monkey. Ideal for any occasions. But the time has come to wrap this up because my shopping is coming at 3 p.m. And I believe if I talk anymore, Matt's ears might fall off. Well, we I was start. I was going to watch Chesterfield against Aldershot Town, but uh, yeah, that's not happening. So I imagine that uh, means another 10 days of self-isolating for Chesterfield. So I think that probably means our FA Trophy Wembley dream is over because I don't think we'll have time to get it rearranged. Well, if it's if it's any um, plus, I do believe that Aston Villa have won. Uh, they have, yeah. They've beaten Arsenal one 0 yeah. Very so you, you know, at least at least you've got a small bit of something to get you through the day. It is so. The I I just want to go through again for those who have forgot for the start of the podcast, because I have no idea how long we've been going. Could have been hours, could be days at this point. But for those who are listening, this podcast is a spiritual successor of the Keep Off Offence fanzine that was run in the 90s, the very early 90s. It ran for 19 issues. And it's something we want to keep within the club roots. So we, we brought the name back. We've been very excited to do this. I want to thank Matt for giving me the time to record this. Matt will be joining us for every episode, hopefully, unless he gets bored of me, then, which is totally fair. Um, Hopefully, next time out, we will have a a guest with us. That guest is to be determined. I'm not sure yet if... There is anybody in particular that you are jonesing 
to hear the dulcet tones of on this podcast, let us know. Whack it in the comments. We will have a read through. Any segment suggestions? Whack them in the comments. I will let you know that in the spotlight, the article-based version that used to be on the website will be coming back. That will be a segment we will be doing. Quick fire questions. We may chuck in a football quiz here and then. Test, you know, Matt versus test test a bit of local Matlock Town knowledge. See who who knows the most about. I'll have the the, I'll have a competition with Wildy because I know we'll uh, do it. You you uh, you could have. I mean, Wildy will do anything. You could have a competition <laughs> where you say to him, "Oh, let's see how many times we can walk up and down the stairs in a day." He's, <laughs> he he it. loves. He thrives on competition, but. That is us done. So thank you for joining us. This was the Keep Off the Fence podcast. I've been James Griffiths, for better or for worse. Thank you again, Matthew Rose, for joining me. And we shall see you in hopefully a fortnight's time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.